This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Want to save 10% on your next DukeTigBrand.com order? Use the promo code BROADWATER19 at checkout. D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. If you've listened to the show before, you know how much I love DukeTig Brand. I use their Excel notebook, I use their waterproof notebook, and absolutely swear by their products. Go to duketigbrand.com right now, D-U-K-T-I-G-Brand.com, and save 10% at checkout on your next order. From apparel to logos to coaching notebooks, Duketig Brand has got you hooked up. Duketigbrand.com, promo code BROADWATER19 at checkout. This is a milestone episode for this podcast. This is actually episode 50. And if you were to tell me over six months ago when I launched this podcast that we would get this far and connect you to some of the guests that have been on this show, I probably would have thought you were crazy. And I'm sincerely grateful for every guest and for every listener that has uh, contributed to the show in some sort of way. So we're approaching 14,000 listens, which is absolutely fantastic. Please continue to share the show out on social media with guests and friends and people in the football and soccer community and help more and more people find this podcast. And of course, if you listen on Apple Podcast. Uh, please leave a five-star rating and a review for the show. And last but not least, in terms of housekeeping, uh, would love to connect with you that if you're new to the show, reach out to me on social media, uh, on Twitter or Instagram, at SoccerCoachJB. So in Season 2, Episode 20, Aaron Rodgers and I talked to Haley Carter. And if that name sounds familiar, Haley is... A well-known um, advocate and former player and coach in the women's game here in the U.S., but also internationally. She played collegiately at the Naval Academy and then entered the Marine Corps uh, upon finishing her time uh, in Annapolis and completed two tours of duty um, in Operation Iraqi Freedom in Haley. Aaron and I told you this during the show, but sincerely appreciate your service to our country. It really means a lot. She's coached collegiately. She played in the NWSL. And she worked internationally with the Afghanistan women's national team. Haley's story is absolutely fantastic. And you'll notice she mentions a few people uh, by name in this podcast, actually some former guests. So when you hear the names like Randy and Becky and Erica, she's referring to Randy Waldrum of the University of Pittsburgh and former Houston Dash coach, Becky Burley, the head women's coach at the University of Florida, and Erica Dombach, the head women's coach at Penn State University. So some context there. Also, uh, apologies from me to you uh, that... Some of the audio is a little funky and a little wonky in this episode. I'm not quite sure what happened to our connection, but stick with it. Uh, I tried my best to even it out as, uh, as I possibly could. 
So it does improve as the, uh, the podcast goes on. All right, guys, enough of me. Let's get into it with Haley Carter, Season 2, Episode 20 of the On the Touchline podcast. Enjoy the absolute fabulous Haley Carter. Well, uh, Haley Carter, thank you for coming on the the latest episode of the On, on the Touchline podcast. And, um, you know, folks may have heard your name uh, in the football and, and soccer community, but I think it's really important for folks to hear about your backstory and uh, tell folks a little bit about who you are. And, um, you know, we'll kind of take things from there. Oh, goodness. Um, well, so yeah, I guess is that, you know, I was really fortunate growing up. Um, my parents were incredibly supportive. I grew up in a phenomenal support structure. You know, I've been playing the game since I was four years old. Um, and the great thing is, you know, it was something So the level I played at uh, was always sort of the stress release for me and, and really was my identity. I mean, even... Uh, I, you know, play college soccer at the Naval Academy and, you know, I was in the Marine Corps. I still found a way to play the game. And um, I don't think that happens as much um, nowadays. I, I think that there's, you know, parents really want to drive their kids to pursue certain options. And, you know, I think collectively, right, wrong or otherwise, and mostly wrong, you know, we're encouraging players to specialize and one sport or another at 13, 14, 15 years old. And the reality is I was able to play every sport under the sun, like even water polo until I was maybe 16 or 17. Uh, and I didn't really specialize in soccer until I was, um, I, you know, I was playing every sport that was out there. You know, I grew up as an athlete and sports really, um, they really were, they, were, you know, of whatever I had going on at school or, um, you know, whatever else that was going on in my life, like sports was my stress, stress reliever. And I was one of the odd ducks who grew up really studying the game. And, you know, I wanted to watch Premier League games and the MLS. I wanted to go to MLS games when I could, when it was the Dallas Burn. And, you know, in my generation growing up, especially on the, the there weren't a lot of students of the game. Um, and so it just really became the love of my life at a really young age. Um, and so, you know, and, and the 99ers, of course, changed everything for me. Uh, you know, I was at three, which South region now, ODP camp for that game. And I remember watching it in the basement um, of one of the University of Montevallo with, you know, all of my friends on regional pool and, like, I, you know, I'll never forget that. Like, that's a memory I'll always have. You know, so I, I grew up um, just really loving the game and really appreciating its the power to. And um, I was fortunate to be able to go to the Naval Academy. I was recruited to play soccer there. And, of course, when you go to the Naval Academy, the priority is not to play sports. Um, the priority is not to become a professional athlete. You know, the priority is to graduate and receive your commission you know, into the core and then serve your country. And so my priorities certainly did shift. But again, it was a stress release. And it happens a lot for Division One college athletes. You know, we sort of approach playing the game at that level as a full-time job. And certainly it was a full-time job. 
but you know, I've told people before, they've asked me about, you know, how was, what was it like going to the Naval Academy? It must've been difficult. And I think people understand that the military side of it is actually the easy part. <laughs> you know, they tell you what to wear, they tell you where you're going to be and when you're going to be what to do. Um, there's not a lot of decisions to be made. Um, but the school academically is really difficult to manage here. You know, there's no red shirting. Uh, there's no extended time on campus. You're, you're in and you're out in four years. And so, and on top of that, we've got additional leadership classes we have to take math and engineering and science. And so, you know, I was routinely in season in the fall taking 20 hours, um, a semester. And so again, Soccer continued to be a stress release, even though it was, you know, essentially a, a full-time job, and you had to put a lot of time invested into it. Marine Corps, I was a logistics officer. I spent nearly eight years in the Marine Corps. I made multiple deployments to Iraq, and even on deployments, um, fortunate, I actually, my roommate, uh, I was a day sleeper because I worked at night, and um, my roommate I with in college she was a 2005 graduate of the naval academy both of us were logistics officers so we really kind of looked out and uh, sort of spread around camp fallujah because one of our other naval academy graduates who had played had been there on the deployment before us and we sort of like tag teamed out and she had told everyone hey two of my friends are coming and they're going to be here for the next seven nine months meet them so we started getting invited to these pickup games with Iraqi interpreters on the weekends and in between deployments I was able to play all armed forces soccer uh, which was amazing at the time because you know we were that's the highest level and the reality is that you know the U.S. we compete in the council of internet and we follow the rules <laughs> like we take it for what it is we've got a volunteer force um, you know you qualify based uh, Brazil or Germany or South Korea that had these sort of mandatory uh, national service requirements. And so they take their U23 women national teams and they issue them all military ID cards and uniforms and then they send them to this tournament. Uh, so it was great for us to get that sort of exposure as American athletes um, because again, you know, most of us were academy graduates, whether we went to West Point or wherever, you know, we didn't go to those schools to be able to play pro soccer. So it was like a total pipe dream for us to be able to play against U23 national players from, um, these top countries. And so it was really cool. And I, my, the latter part of my career in the Marine Corps, I was stationed in Hawaii and I was able to play Hawaii. I don't know if you guys know this, but Hawaii has some very competitive soccer. And um, and I uh, I really I lucked out. I was able to play with the Honolulu my friends that play for Leahi. Like, will never let me live that down. But whatever. Um, and you know, Caprice Didasco, who played for Washington, I blue was my teammate and she was, you know, a junior and senior in high school when I was playing with her. And then she went to UCLA and did under Amanda um, before turning pro. So it was just really cool to play this high level of soccer, you know, and it's kind of one of those things, Sunday pub league, you know, you drive out to YPO fields and uh, you know, all the youth are playing their games and there's this women's league that's full of players and these outstanding high school players. So uh, it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. And I, and then I transitioned out of the Marine Corps. I took a job in Austin, 
um, in like the latter part of 2013. And right when the, the Dynamo were starting to sort of banter about uh, putting together an NWSL team. And I remember going to a, a Dynamo playoff match. It was in October and somebody had mentioned that, you know, Chris Canetti had tossed about the idea and, and I was just like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like I'll, I've been, I've been around for the other iterations of the pro leagues. And um, I didn't think at that time that NWSL was quite ready to expand yet, you know, inaugural season, the season before. So I wasn't holding my breath. <laughs> um, but then sure enough, like it came together. Chico in um, as a consultant and then they hired Randy and I sort of watched the team develop from a distance. I knew Randy was going to need more goalkeepers going into camp. That was a major tournament year. Um, there was a lot of like World Cup going on, and um, and so you know I reached out to him and I was like, "Hey, do you you know you're going to need another goalkeeper." And he's like, "Yes, really. You should. Let's just bring you to open tryouts, and then we'll go from there." So uh, yeah, I went to open tryouts, um, and I got invited back, and got invited back for preseason. Um, and then played for them for the first three seasons uh, in Houston. I tried to retire once, 15, and Randy called me and asked me if I would come back for the 2016 season, um, and I did. And then at the end of the 2016 season, I was I had transitioned into coaching. Uh, I was already working with Afghanistan at that point, and so um, I put a hard stop on my pro career, made the official retirement, and now I'm focusing primarily on coaching. So, yeah. Tell me uh, what you were like as a, as a player in uh, you're talking to uh, two former goalkeepers here. So, uh, so three, three's a crowd, I guess. Um, and obviously you're, you're probably the best. Of three's, the three of three's, us. I feel like three's a mutiny. <laughs> like, <laughs> I should be concerned. <laughs> uh, I have a nice bruise on my hand. Um, my, my, I need a new pair of gloves and uh, my, my gloves just aren't doing it. And, uh, I took a took a ball uh, the other night that I sort of misplayed and yeah. end up in, injuring myself. So I, I just need to retire too, but uh, I I won't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, tell me what you're like as a player, Haley. Uh, you know, I mean, I I think I was great as a player, right? Don't we all? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, you know, I I will say this. Uh, I was a bit of a little shit as a kid growing up in high school the bee's knees i don't know can you say shit on a podcast because i definitely just did you twice no, you so uh, yeah so i <laughs> for sure um had a little bit of an attitude and and of course i think as goalkeepers that's a little bit to be expected um swagger and um i'm definitely had that swagger but i crossed the line many many times uh, but i really matured in college you know and 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 I think that's a big step for a lot of players. You know, I, you know, was obviously playing with regional and was making a regional pool. And, you know, I did, I thought it was amazing. And then I got to college and realized it's a four-year program. And as I sat on the bench, the first three seasons, um, my first three years in college and, and I worked incredibly hard and, and I'm Karen Gabera about this because she would tell you, I worked so hard between my junior year and through the summer going into my senior year to be able to earn that starting spot um 
And I remember in the spring of my junior year having the conversation with Karen and Rob and the conversation basically being some we're bringing in these really good freshmen. And, and if you don't get it together, like we can't even guarantee that you'll make the team. Um, and it was that was an effective message. Um, obviously, I had a lot of things going on. I was trying to figure out what I was going to service select and I was preparing for the summer. I was, you know, going to be a plebe summer company getting ready to go to Quantico for a few weeks. So I was already stressed out enough as it was. Um, but it was a good message. And uh, I think it was definitely something that I needed. And then sure enough, like I, I got it together and, and I earned the starting position. But I think a lot of that transition um, and the reality is, is that I learned how to become a role player experience. Um, and it would have been great, I think, for me to be able to walk in and get to start two or three years. But for me, if I had again, I would do it exactly the way that it happened. Um, because I think I became a better human um, and a better coach and a better player because of that experience. And, um, you know, I struggled with it in the, in the time, right? But looking back on it, I, I, I just really learned how to become a role player. And I think that's important for a lot of players to understand. You know, you've got 11 players on the field. You've got a college roster, you know, 24, 25 you're going to have more players on the bench than on the field. So it's important that you have leadership on the bench. It's important you have role players on the bench. Um, and I really learned that at Navy. And then, um, you know, I sort of took that through my career. And so as a pro, and, you know, I played for the Dash. I was with Randy for three seasons. I earned one appearance and three so, and I was okay with that. I was comfortable with that because I knew what my role was. My role was to push the starter. My role was to push the number two. You know, when the starter was gone or, you know, if Aaron was with Canada or Bianca was with Mexico or Lydia was with Australia, that there was no gap in the intensity level for training, that, um, you know, things were staying together. And then all as an older athlete, uh, you know, I had a son at the time and my priorities were a little bit different. And sometimes I did not like the music that was played at dancing and I'm not that hip and cool. I'm actually really great at dancing, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, but there was, you know, there's a little bit of an age gap, but mentor some of the younger players, because especially at the pro level, you know, you want players who are pissed that they're not in the starting lineup. You want that, you know, that's with you. You're not going to survive at the pro level, if you're not pissed, if you're not in the starting lineup. But the reality is, like, you have to move past that, right? Like, you have to be able to and then support your team. And so, you know, when players would start to complain about this or that, and then they turn and see me, and, well, she's been with us for three seasons, and she still hasn't gotten an appearance yet, like, it's a sobering effect on other players. And so um, on other things like fitness, you know, I was way more fit in the Marine Corps than I was after I got out of the Marine Corps and playing soccer. Um, Randy could much, but it's the truth. I was way fitter in the Marine Corps than I was as a pro athlete, for sure. Um, <laughs> the stakes are a little bit higher. Yeah. The stakes I, are a little bit higher. I would say so. Um, yeah. First of all, um, thank you for your service. I mean, that's uh, what an honor. Um that you have given to to our country, so definitely appreciate that selflessness. Um, a couple of things too, we kind of um, we we're, we have we share a similarity. 
you were a Texas high school state champion. Is that right? I was, yeah. As was I. A little bit earlier than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was a ni- the 1990 state high school champion from Grapevine High School in Grapevine, Texas. Oh, so, yeah. So yeah. You, you were a little bit... You're a little, a little bit after bit later, me, yeah. but hey, we share that commonality. We and do. it's fun. It's funny you said that story about the 99ers and that you were at in Montevallo at Region Three camp, watching it in the basement. I, I was. was there. I was there watching it in were, the basement along with were you. you? <laughs> I was. I was a coach at the time, and because I was Amazing. actually, yeah, I was actually coaching at Alabama at the time at the University of Alabama. And yeah. uh, and I was the the um, state team coach for yeah. gosh I don't I don't remember the age group that was so long ago and I'm old and I've got kids too so you know what that's like we all got kids here we know what that's like yeah. and uh, but yeah I was there too I remember it I remember it very very well yeah. in the in the dorm basement Going of the, nuts. oh yeah, yeah that was yeah. that was amazing that was really cool so awesome. Um, I just had to interject those things, but w- one of the things it's 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 amazing to to listen to your story and to read about your story and to to kind of to kind of follow where you've been and now know that you you've got a lot going on. I mean, you you are in coaching, you are in in law school. Is that right? Is that are you still doing that? Uh, in my spare time, I in your have spare so much I, of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that, in your some, spare just, time, something something small like law school to Get do. The that. hell out of here, Haley. Yeah, <laughs> that that's pretty amazing. Um, but one of the things that really resonated with me was what you talked about as embracing your role, whatever it was. And you you sat on the bench for three years. And we all know goalkeeping; it's a tough position to be in it because is. because you're either playing or you're not. You don't, re- you don't get subbed in you, you, it's not like an outfield player. Well, hey, I can play the yeah. last 20 minutes of each half or, or whatever. And, and it's, and it's tough. And, and how much, you know, how much of what you went through as a, um, a, not a cadet, is it, are you a cadet at the Naval midshipman. Academy? Yeah, yeah, midshipman. midshipman, you know, yeah. uh, uh, please pardon me west point right um yeah. so uh, as you were a, a midshipman there uh, and the leadership and the things that you learn as as a student how much of that was were you able to take that on and and use that as that student athlete as well you know it's a leadership laboratory right that's that's really the intent and purpose of the service academies is is to sort of serve as that leadership laboratory. of course you know whether it's explicit or implicit you're being affected by um you know various mentors or experiences between summer training and 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 everything that's going on i mean the reality is you're immersed in this environment where you learn to follow first and then you're given the tools to be able to lead successfully um so naturally that that sort of a progression right and you know i took that that experience from school and then you really start applying that in the marine corps you're leading marines you know in very stressful environments and um you know my two deployments my first deployment was a relatively stressful deployment much, uh, though my second one was really long. It was like 14 months long. Um, but my first one was in Fallujah and it was a really stressful time. And 
start to take these lessons that you learn in this sort of theoretical academic environment and then start applying them in real life. Uh, and, and even now I think, yeah, of course, you know, I was able to take, I, I, it's just a, you know, we start talking about the stakes being higher in the Marine Corps that, that I brought, I bring that with me to a, mm-hmm. a pitch. Right. So mm-hmm. for me, me to be a role player because you know I, at least I'm not being shot at <laughs> like yeah you know what I mean and from a fitness standpoint I'm like well at least I'm crap and running in boots you know <laughs> so um it's just it's a really it's a perspective thing and um so you know I, I this is kind of a, a tangent but I'll, I'll get I'll circle back around but hang with me um I was recently, I spoke with a Penn State women's soccer team early in their spring season this year. And, um, and things we were talking about was um, sort of tenacity and grit and teamwork and, um, and leadership in general, really what that looks like. And uh, one of the things that I talked to them about was that, you know, when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, something that is sort of imbued upon you, both in the Naval Academy and in, in the Marine Corps, especially, um, cause we're hard asses, you know, so <laughs> is that, you know, you never let your Marines see you have a bad day like that. That just can't happen. Um, you can have bad days, but your Marines can't feel that. Uh, and, and I kind of, after I, it was really effective when I was in the Marine Corps, it was an effective because it's kind of the example and being negative isn't going to help anyone. So you kind of, kind of, kind of tough it out and it's effective. Uh, in the Marine Corps, in a environment, it's an effective leadership saw. But the more that I thought about it after I spoke to them, um, the more it's occurred to me. Um, I kind of, I kind of don't live my life that way anymore, and I certainly don't um, lead players and teammates that way. You know, as as I was playing with the dash, now you know I allow, and not often. Um, Cause it's just not my personality, but now I sort of allow people to see me be vulnerable or to see me struggle or, um, you know, or, or to when something is hard and shitty. Um, I think it's important that we be able to acknowledge that and say that out loud. And, um, and so me, I think I've, I, I have sort of morphed from a leadership standpoint from that sort of um, tough, to you know as a player and now as a coach that it's okay to say when things suck um as opposed to just you know being like oh think positive and things are going to work out now when i hear somebody say oh just think positive and things are going to work out i just want to punch them Hmm. um you know because Mm -hmm. and for instance we've been dealing with some really hard stuff uh and our players are just i'm in awe of them of the things that they've done for how well they're taking care of each other and, and it's hard and that's the reality. And so, you know, when I hear people say, Oh, just, it's just have faith. I'm like, ah, um, yeah. So, so back to the question. Um, yeah, I do. I have taken a lot of what I learned from a leadership standpoint, both at the Naval Academy and the Marine Corps into now how I'm in coaching, but I also think I've learned a lot um, since then, and my sort of leadership style and evolved, 
um, based upon the experiences that I had in the Marine Corps and based upon the experiences that I've dealt with since. Uh, leader at 35 than I was at 25. Um, you know, just throwing things into your, into your pack a little bit, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, what you said about you have 28 players on a roster or whatever that number is, and you only have 11 on the field. I mean, that's, that's one of, that's a huge challenge for coaches to be able to integrate and, and really make everybody all 28 feel special. Because as you know, we, we have to, and we do care about all of them, but there are players number 22 to 28 that don't play as much. And and I think, I think that's a huge, huge, skill and and um and ask for people to do these days and that's obviously something that i've really focused on over over the last you know number of years but um and i think that's a that's a and you have a great perspective i think we all do i mean and what you said about your career uh, in college and your career with the dash um being that gosh i gotta i've got to embrace my role and whatever my role is i've got to be the best you've got to be good and that, you know, if that's first off, I'm a huge fan of Becky's bench cam, yep. by the way, huge yep. fan. Yeah. Um, cause you know, in sort of enforcing that accountability, like I love it. Um, but yeah, I agree. You know, you, when I was like, you show up and training is your game day. So your training session, every training session better be the best training session that you can put out. Cause that's your responsibility. And Um, and some days are going to be better than others, but if you approach that, like that's your role and that's your game day, you go out and you, um, and you kick, you make your team better. And ultimately for me, the message is that it has to be about the team. Everything Mm -hmm. is about the team. We win as a team, we lose as a team, we struggle as a team, you know, we face adversity as a team. Um, you know, we enjoy success as a team. And so, uh, everything really has to be about the team. You know, you talk about the bench cam and this is something and the bench cam is not only good for the for the players. It's good for us coaches, too, because one of the one of the biggest things and, you know, you said never let Marines see you have a bad day. I mean, my body language sometimes I'm an emotional. Yes, absolutely. And so I keep this in my head that I have to keep positive body language at all times. Yeah. and I think sure. it was, I love your quote and, and I know you kind of, you, you went off a little bit about how you've, how you've evolved and you've become more vulnerable, but never let Marines see you have a bad day. I sometimes, I sometimes, I mean, I, I say sometimes, I think I follow that a lot. And I, and I really love that you said that because, you know, you're talking about in a leadership of you're leading men and women as yeah. an officer and you got to show that strong face. And sometimes as a coach, you know, you're going to have a bad day going into training, but you don't want your players to see you get off of that energy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but yeah. you can be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is huge because yeah. you are human and they've got to see that you're human as well and not a robot. It's so balancing that. that. I, think absolutely. that I think that that's something that as coaches uh, and as leaders in general, I think that's something that we all sort of. And again, like I just recently and after talking to Erica's group was thinking more about this and like, man, like I, to be better about being vulnerable because, you know, and dealing with everything going on with Afghanistan, you know, I like I'm have felt myself absorbing this mass press. And not like 
not having an outlet for it and, and, and realizing like, I have to allow myself to be vulnerable, like open up about the things that we're dealing with. And, um, and so I've sort of learned like trial by fire that there has to be this sort of balance. And, um, yeah, I think it's something that, that as coaches we struggle with because, you know, yeah, nobody, nobody, you don't want players feeding off energy, certainly. And so, um, but also you don't want to be a robot. So, no, (laughs) I, I, you know, and I think, you know, you talk about your experience and you speak to other teams and obviously you coach teams and, and you're, and you're, you're kind of coming from a place of, of such a unique experience. You know, you, you were in a war zone and you were um, deployed. And so you have that unbelievable perspective. And then you coached a, for a country that, women don't share the same opportunities that men do and it's a struggle for them to play the game that we Mm -hmm. all have such a wonderful privilege to do here in the u.s so those those college players that that you speak to or you coach i mean and they're like oh we got to do this today or or i did i I have i got to get a new pair of cleats and those cleats they have are not even forget you forget the joy of the game (laughs) yeah forget like what a privilege it is to be able to have that in your life yeah for sure Absolutely. And it's, it's just, just, it's such a great perspective that, you know, you're able to, to share with these young women and, 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 and men, if, if, you know, whoever you have the opportunity to coach, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah. that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. I, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, I've been really fortunate. I have been, I'm like the luckiest woman alive for sure. The opportunities that I've had and the incredible people that I've been able to interact with and coach yeah i'm just i'm just really lucky (laughs) awesome yeah so i know for uh for all of us at at some point the uh you know the the desire to coach uh sort of manifested itself in our lives and i'm curious when that moment came for you Haley. if you know even um collegiately or your high school days or, or whenever it may have been when did that moment sort of happen for you when you said, I could actually see myself being a coach? Um, you know, it was really when I started playing uh, with a dash, uh, you know, because up to that point, you know, I'll be honest, I, I don't think I could have fit anything else into my life. Um, playing um, that it, the thought of coaching really hadn't crossed my mind. Um, maybe a little bit. Uh, not you know I I wasn't I didn't wasn't sure too sure how I wanted to pursue it um but then you know as I with the dash then it became like abundantly clear I wanted to be able to coach and I wanted to be able to coach you know at at a higher level and um just ran with it and I think the reality is too when you're when you're really immersed in playing um and that's the coaching and I think some players are really good at it and I think other players truthfully really suck at it um because it takes a completely different mindset environment and for pros um you know that that is a difficult transition to make especially because when you're having conversations with you know coaches that are working at a high level you're not sharing that with people who were your friends um prior to that because you made that transition and so um, you know, it can be, and, and you approach the game differently. You see the game differently. You, 
you care less about hurting people's feelings and more about being honest about what the status is of play or whatever. And not only that, but I think honestly, like as a, even as a pro, you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. What's going into creating draft boards. You have no idea what's going into recruiting college athletes. You have no idea what's going into breaking down film and having those conversations and for college athletes you have no idea what's going into team ops and putting making sure your kits are together and making sure you get equipment and um you know you you really are completely clueless and and i think that's necessary right because you want your players focusing um but i think also it wouldn't be such a bad thing for players to have a better idea and grasp of everything that coach for doing and um and I think, you know, some of the younger players or, you know, players that are newer to playing at that level, um, they just don't see that stuff. Um, and so I don't, like I said, I, I don't, I think some players, and honestly, the players who are, who are really good at making are players who are doing that as players anyway. They're breaking down their own film. They're tagging their video. There's, you know, they're going in as soon as the game is over and on the floor, and they're watching what happened and they're thinking about it, and they're making notes at training sessions about, you know, things that worked and things that didn't work and, um, well, and, uh, and, and for the most part, they're good at personality management. Um, but yes, me, I didn't, it, it didn't even really at a high level, at a serious level, cross my mind about getting into coaching until I started getting to the pro level and, and seeing, you know, the things that the coaches were doing behind the scenes and really, um, you know, Randy is an unbelievable coach. Um, and there's just a lot you can learn from him. He's always very open about having other coaches attend training, be able to learn from him. And, you know, he's just very encouraging of that. And so, you know, I was pretty fortunate uh, to be in that environment for three seasons. So, um, yeah, so I, it really started there, I guess. Well, you've named uh, a few coaches that uh, have appeared this season from uh, Randy, Becky, and uh, and Erica, and that uh, all three are amazing and fantastic, and yeah. um, you know all, all are different, and uh, you know as you would expect any coach to be. I had asked Aaron this question back uh, when he came on the show in season one. Do you think being a goalkeeper has helped you as a coach? Oh, definitely. I think it. In every aspect of life, <laughs> um, but yes, I would say that it has. You know, I I spent my entire career watching the game um, and seeing things develop, and and you know, having an understanding of where frustrations can get when you're <laughs> when you're standing on top of the eighteen, watching your team not third. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you get accustomed to organizing your defense and you get accustomed to connected in the midfield and because you're watching it and you're organizing it. And so I think um, to have that sort of perspective um, and, you know, I, I will say one of the things I've identified though is, you know, I work mostly with goalkeepers, you know, and a little bit with back lines. Um, but something I've identified that I want to work on as a coach is to be more engaged with our forwards and midfielders. Um, 
you know, because I know what it takes to score on a goalkeeper. <laughs> so, um, so I feel like I have something to offer our forwards. Um, but to just have those relationships and be a little bit more engaged, you know, obviously I watch the game. I'm obsessed with the game. Like I'm devastated because I have to wait for the premier league to start back up again. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, for me, being able to watch the game and have that influence and know how to organize a defense. And um, yeah, I do. I think it's made a big difference. Um, You know, something we're seeing more now and really we're seeing it because as coaches, we're holding teams accountable to it is that players who are not specializing in the goalkeeper position until at least 14 or 15. Um, And I love that. I love, the kid growing up I was put in goal at like seven I think I went to a training session and I was enormous I think I've been the same height as I was when I was like seven so I must have been like the biggest seven-year-old <laughs> ever because I, I don't think I've grown since then but um like a 1v1 session I think I stopped like every 1v1 session so they're like oh we should just put her in goal and of course I love being in goal I took to it immediately it was my, I that was um but I developed there, you know, relatively quickly. And so um, I, I was fortunate, again, because I love the game. So I would be outside, like, kicking a ball against my garage door, which my mom hated, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I would be out there. I would do that for hours and hours. So I was still able to develop, like, technically as a soccer player first. Um, but a lot of other goalkeepers did not. And I do think that um, – I was fortunate in that because I was just sort of driven and I just love the game. But um, I think other, other goalkeepers in my generation want the ball really far, which we don't even really do now anyway. Um, you know, so, or you're aggressive. So just go in goal. And then we sort of left them in goal and then they grew up playing and, and they're terrible with their feet. And now the game's completely changed where you need to be the first line of offense. So you need to be able to play with your feet. You need to be a soccer player first. And, um, and so that's changed a little bit. So I, I think looking back on it as a goalkeeper, tactical standpoint, yeah, absolutely. I think it's made me a better coach. Um, from a technical standpoint, as a player, I don't know that that necessarily always translates. But, yeah, tactically, certainly. And I think um, just my confidence level and sort of attitude in dealing with players is you know, it's it's not very different being a goalkeeper and organizing a defense as it is being a coach and organizing a team. Um, so, yeah. Something that uh, that Aaron and I often talk about. Um, so in part of, I think, maybe why this podcast might be a little different than, than other soccer podcasts that are out there, we talk a lot about culture. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, when you're working with a team, and, you know, especially interested in the Afghanistan uh, experience, but also yeah. your collegi- collegiate experiences, uh, coaching, what's culture mean to you and how do you define that? You know, I think for me, um, culture is really sort of the DNA of your team and, and who you and what you want to be known as um, and how you treat each other. And, um, you know, I think it's something that is seen and viewed externally something that's felt uh, and driven internally. And, you know, for us, with the Afghan women's national team, culture, culture obviously is a really big deal. And we, we've tried to cultivate our team culture based on reality Afghan. 
It doesn't matter if you live in Europe. It doesn't matter if you live in the Bay Area. It doesn't matter if you live in Kabul. It doesn't matter if you're a refugee, your parents are refugees. It doesn't matter. All Afghan. Um, and sort of building that unified team environment and cohesive structure really was the main focus for us from a cultural standpoint. And, and Afghan culture is an important um, aspect of their community. You know, if you live in the Bay Area, like Afghan culture in the Bay Area is miniature Kabul. I mean, it, th- that's something that, you know, singing and dancing and music and food really matters. And so it doesn't even matter where you're at. Uh, in the world, like for um, the Afghan community, their culture is such an important point. Um, and so for us with Afghanistan and the women's national team, that obviously was um, really sort of what we built our team culture around um, and sort of stressing that, you know, together, unbreakable is our slogan. And, um, you know, we really like genuinely like together, those women can do anything and they have. Um, you know, in prior years and, and you know, credit for it, but, um, the reality is like Kelly, Kalita, and I really sort of forced that, um, and them to break down those walls that would stand between them, um, you know, for the players that were coming from outside of Afghanistan with the players who were in together. And we had to work really hard to chip down those, um, those barriers. And so, uh, you know, for us, that was just the, the main focal point. And now we're, we're seeing the benefits of that um, three years on. And think at the um, to be really important from a cultural standpoint is that, you know, the reality is each school is going to build its own culture. And like I said, it's, it's your team DNA. It's what, so whether it's you're going to be incredibly fit, Um, you know, you're going to be, you're always going to have the sportsmanship and ethics piece. Like, you know, what do you want to be known for? Like, how do you want um, other teams to perceive you and see you and how do you? Um, But one of the things that I found to be really important to ensuring that culture sticks, uh, and this is going to seem really silly, but it's important, especially with women is um, conflict resolution. Um, that you have a plan going into it that the players have, the players can run and the players are accountable to conflict resolution because the reality is you have some players who can step onto a pitch and anything that happens between the lines stays between the lines. And then you have other players who will step onto a pitch and if it happens between the lines, it's more again in the locker room. Um, and you just can't, you can't have that. Right. And so, um, to to actively resolution where hey if you have a problem this is our conflict resolution plan and that involves you going and having a conversation that you've got a conflict with or with the staff member that you've got a conflict with if you've got questions or whatever you're going and you're having those open and honest conversations time you know to sit and let things fester or to gossip and have things just get worse um and so one thing I've noticed, especially at the collegiate level, is that you're dealing with you have a plan for conflict resolution. And like I said, that's run by the have the um, 
they have ownership of that. And they're the ones who are assuring that um, people are staying accountable to it because you know, when two players are getting catty with each other, um, you know, and so that you're, you're sort of forcing them, whatever your problems you guys have going on right now, you not saying you have to be friends off the field, but in this environment, you know, that's not going to be tolerated. So, and, and, and the, okay. Right. Conflict is good. Uh, conflict, I think, is, is what challenges us and makes us better. But to be able to manage and being honest about it as opposed to, um, like I said, letting it fester or letting people gossip or then it just turns quickly into something negative that can get in the way of um, really hard work to drive a positive culture can be destroyed relatively quickly. I think it takes a long time to grow, but I think it takes a, a very short amount of time to destroy. So um, that's why I say and having a plan in place that players own, um, it matters. It's important. I think one of the things that, that you talked about, you know, in culture is how how the players treat each other. And I think, you know, that overriding um, respect for each other is they got to serve each other. And I think yeah. you hit the nail on the head with that because, you know, what do you want to be known for? You know, that's what people see from the outside. The DNA of the team is, is how, how each individual re responds and respects each other. And if they can serve each other, then they're definitely going to, to, uh, be successful together because that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about 28, 28 players embracing their role. And if player number one embraces their role, player number 28 embraces her role and they mutually respect each other, man, that, that, that for, for what they it's do. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that, that um, John Wooden said, and so many other coaches say, and I, I, I preach this to our team on a, um, every day is we want the players to be the best um, athlete for the team, not the best yeah. athlete on the team. And yeah. if they live by that mantra and they can, um, and they can really live it, they're all going to be successful. Yeah, that's true. You know, something um, Kelly Lindsay has always pushed with our Afghanistan is, you know, how can we help them be the best version of themselves? You know, not the best version of the athletes we want them to be, but are. Um, and if we can meet them where they are and we can help facilitate them being the best versions of themselves, each other, they can appreciate that they're all trying as hard as they can and they're all giving their best and they're all working to be the best versions of themselves. And we can, everyone, it, it is a game changer for sure. Absolutely. Haley, where do you uh, where do you see all this going uh, for you? Um, would you like to continue to work your way up the uh, you know the the coaching ladder? Um, you know, we talked about a little bit about law school. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got you got a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, I think you know we'll see. I think you know I'm um, pretty heavily involved with a women's coaches advocacy group right now with United Soccer Coaches and. Uh, we're working on, you know, making some changes and, um, you know, trying to put some new things and sort of revitalize that group and the impact that we're having, you know, serving women coaches and or and coaches in the women's game, uh, not just the coaches also in the. 
for me, I think that um, I go down the path of advocacy. I love coaching. I'm going to continue to want to coach. Um, but, you know, for me and, and go- I'm in charge of global supply chain process improvement for an oil and gas company, just like everybody else in Houston that doesn't work for NASA. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for me, I really like business. Business is, is kind of my thing. Um, and I'm going to law school because I have a always harping on veterans for not using their GI bill. Uh, so I didn't want to be a total hypocrite. Um, so I decided one day that I would wake up and go and take the LSAT and apply to school. And now I find myself in law school um, wondering what I'm doing there every single day. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's not entirely true. You know, for me, I really want to be able to serve coaches. And, um, you know, soccer is a player's game. Player is king. And um, it's great. But I think the reality is, as coaches, we face a whole slew of other issues. Um, you know, and so for me, I want to be able to advocate for coaches able to represent coaches you know especially at a high level some of the labor and employment issues that we deal with um you know at, at a pro level you get let go something that's kind of hairy happening how do you how do you who is your medium to sort of deal with that and address that so that your reputation or you're not seen as being a high maintenance coach or whatever um i think that's really important and i think as well you know whether or, you know, and understanding the terms and conditions in an employment contract or, you know, trying to negotiate salary or, try, you know, very issues that coaches don't always feel comfortable with because coaches want to coach. Um, you know, how we're, how we're, um, that sort of niche is really important to me. And so um, that's likely where, you know, where I see myself going. I'm going to continue to work still going to be around and coaching um, just because I love being around players and I love being around the game and I love making an impact that way. Um, involved I get in working with United soccer coaches and um, discussing things with, you know, many, many of my friends who are in coach and, you know, some of the issues that we're facing, I think it's really important that we get um, one that we as coaches start to have a better understanding of, is a business because whether you're coaching in college or coaching in the youth game or coaching internationally, the reality is, is that money makes the world go round. Um, at the youth level, if you want to be able to focus on development versus winning, how are you managing that? How are you managing costs so that you can get more playing the game and, you know, things like that, that you've got to be good at understanding how business works to be able to do that. Um, so I think or deal with or address are um, important for me. And then just advocating in general. You know, obviously, as a woman coach, I want to see more women coaches at a high level. Um, I'm always going to be pushing for that. So no offense, guys. Um, but, I do, too. Yeah, you know, and I think, I think um, and this is something I was actually talking with Dave Carr with about, um, you know, just how, how we can – one, get more coaches understanding um, business and the business of the game. And then from a women coach's standpoint, you know, the reality is, is that I'm not pushing women coaches, period. I'm coaching qualified women coaches, right? Mm -hmm. I want qualified coaches first. Absolutely. Um, 
but there are plenty of them out there. So it's a matter of giving them a voice and giving them visibility. And that's definitely something we're working on with, you know, the women coaches advocacy group is how can we highlight more um, coaches that are out there that are working at the youth game at the high school level, you know, and, and that are doing these really great things, but perhaps don't necessarily have the visibility that, you know, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, how can I empower some of those other coaches and make sure that they're getting a platform as well to tell their story and, and, you know, that we're highlighting the great work that's happening out there. So that, that long story short, that's definitely where I see myself um, going is service is a big deal for me. So I want to find a way to serve other coaches. I think it's interesting that you talked about the advocacy and, and maybe the, uh, the law background or the agent background, however you want to frame it. But a, a good friend of mine, um, uh, coach, and, and she and I were talking about, we don't have, coaches don't really have those legal advocates or those agent advocates in the soccer world. Now they do no. obviously our basketball coaches, they do basketball and our football and coaches here, football. they yeah. got them here, yeah. but, but we, I don't know if they don't, if they look at us and think, well, our contracts aren't that big. So that's they're not exactly, gonna make- I think, yeah, I think the reality is, I think that has quite a bit to do with it. Um, that has a bit to do with it. And then I think also there's so many inconsistencies, right? Like at the college level, you know, what your contract is at Ohio University is going to look substantially different than what, you know, Diego's contract is at the University mm-hmm. of Houston, right? Like the mm-hmm. terms and conditions of those are just, they're driven, they're very unique um, inherently. And, and so and, many, so many coaches are on year to year contracts, even the successful college coaches. I mean, that's just the, the, that's the, the nature of it. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. and that's the policy of that, of those, in, yeah. of those individual um, athletic departments, you know, they're given football, basketball, whatever, volleyball coaches, five, six year deals, whatever it is. And soccer coaches, they win a, a conference championship and they go, ah, well, you got another year. So yeah. knock yourself and I out. Think too, I think too, because, because it's not as apparent um, in football, it's not as apparent in our game that um, th- the reality is as coaches, like as pro coaches, like how much do we really like dealing with agents? Mm-hmm. Like n- no one likes to, it's mm-hmm. a dirty word. Like mm-hmm. I don't even like using that word. Um, and so I think that the reality is too, that there are a lot of clubs out there that are like, I'm not dealing with a coach's agent. Like, are mm-hmm. you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, but so I don't, I, that's why I like the word advocate, right? Because the reality is what I do, it's going to be something that is like my, like, it like sets my soul on fire, right? Like that's mm-hmm. my like passion to be able to serve other coaches in that capacity. It's not going to be about making money. It's not going to be about like touting my reputation and representing coaches. It's really about like, we're the little guys, right? Like, mm-hmm. because again, players are king and I, I don't care who you are or where you're at in this game. Um, you know, minus being like pep, maybe mm-hmm. um, we're little guys. Um, and so you know, like to be able to represent, um, you know, and for it to be affordable, I think as well, you know, that I don't, um, you know, I'm very cognizant of that, like, because again, I want to be able to make sure that we're setting as many people up for success as possible. So yeah, I, I think it's a combination of factors, but I think people are less inclined to deal with coaches agents because they don't really like dealing with players agents. <laughs> Let's be real. True. Very true. Yeah. Can I put yeah. you on uh, speakerphone when I uh, 
negotiate my next club contract. <laughs> <laughs> only, I, only, only after I pass the bar. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> what is it? Uh, 10, 10%, 20%. What, what's the, uh, attorney fee, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you $5 oh, to coach oh, here, Mr. Broadwater. Yes. <laughs> yes. I will Sold. take that. I will take that 15 cents. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you for the yeah. headache. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, so a, a question that I ask guests that come on the show, Haley, um, and it, it's a it's a loaded question. So uh, I, I oh, know that. Thanks, thanks for the warning. Thanks for yeah, that. Yeah, I'll, I'll preface that by by saying that that uh, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong in this country when it comes to soccer? Oh God, that is a loaded question. Um, you know, I think I think Jesus. Um, I think that uh, I think I think I want to give you all sorts of feedback on that. Um, the things I think we're doing right, I think there are a lot of good coaches out there who are really trying to do right by kids um, and by families, and that I think are working really hard to ensure that we're putting development first. Um, and there's a concerted effort that's out there um, that's really driving that. And I think. Uh, I think eventually we're going to start to see the benefits of that. I think culturally, though, it's very difficult. So that, you know, that's one of the it's not necessarily something we're doing wrong, but it's definitely a roadblock that we face. And, you know, the culture here is just not it's not like it is in Europe. You know, kids aren't taking soccer balls with them everywhere that they go. Uh, they're not getting touches every every time that they have an opportunity. And so for us. Um, it really is important that when you've got players, youth players that are with you, you're driving that, um, you're allowing them to make mistakes, you're allowing them to learn through the game, you're allowing them to make those decisions because they're not going to get it on their own. Um, and I think as parents as well, um, there are a lot of parents that are out there that are doing the right thing and understanding and buying into these clubs and organizations that are giving their kids the opportunities to develop, even though they might not be getting the results now, you know, at the seven V seven, nine V nine level and the early 11 V 11 levels, they may not be finding success, but the parents are sort of allowing their players, their kids to develop and are buying into those clubs. I think we're seeing that more and more. Um, and I think we're seeing uh, more and more grassroots level clubs that are trying to keep it affordable for players to play. Um, where I don't think we're doing it right is I don't think we're doing it right by having a, a girls DA competing with, uh, ECNL. Um, you know, I think we're taking, we're, we're splitting good players. And, and for me, you know, I was a product of ODP. Uh, I think that ODP is brilliant. I think that it's still brilliant. I think it's a great opportunity for players whose families cannot afford for them to be driving across every corner of the country to be able to play the game um, and, you know, paying essentially another mortgage every month for them to be able to play. It's a great way for them to be able to get seen um, and for them to be able to experience high level coaching that potentially they may not be getting at their local club level. Um, and so I I've always really liked the ODP level because I feel like that's the ODP program. Cause I feel like you can find sort of that diamond in the rough player um, who otherwise is not getting looked at. Um, and then I think it's also, it's, it's making it, um, you know, for, to say that, you know, we're going to drive all of our youth national team players, we're going to pull all of our youth national team players and recruit them, you know, out of the DA. I just, 
I feel like having that mindset going into it is short-sighted and you're running the risk of missing out on, um, you're missing out on some of those local, local players who have the potential to be successful. Um, And I just don't like that we're splitting between two leagues Um, to me that just we're watering that down. Uh, And I, I, yeah, I hate the, I hate how expensive it's becoming. Um, to to be given this perception of opportunity, you know, your families have to give up an arm and a leg for you to be able to play. And I just, that drives me nuts. Um, so I think I struggle with that quite a bit. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. I think, like I said, I think there's this grassroots push. I think there are a lot of people that are doing really great things. Lisa Cole, for instance, the work that she's doing, um, with her club out in Pennsylvania, she's doing a lot of great things. She's a really incredibly outspoken, um, advocate for making sure that we're developing players first and foremost, as opposed to just driving for results. Um, you know, and, and she, she sort of walks the walk and, you know, and so it's, you've got coaches like that who are going out there and setting the example and being outspoken about, what are we doing to make sure that the players are being taken care of? Their families are being taken care of. They're being given opportunities and we're not, um, we're not charging them an arm and a leg to do that. So for me, that's happening and it's good. It's great stuff out there, but yeah, I just, I struggle with the DA and ECNL quite a bit. And I, I'm not a fan again, like the DA limiting um, players from being able to participate in high school sports. I think that sucks, right? As a high school, Texas high school state championship, state champion i loved playing high school soccer it was so much fun like i was playing with my friends that i went to school with there's this like school pride mm-hmm. um you know and and i, I this experience that was just incredible that i wouldn't have had if i were growing up today because i you know i probably would have been playing for a da team because you know some coach along the line would have told me it was the only way for me to get seen to even possibly be considered for a national team. And my parents would have forked up the money because that's how amazing that they are. Um, even if they had to take out a second mortgage on the house. Um, but, you know, I, so I, I struggle with that. I struggle with specializing, you know, we're pushing kids to specialize at a young age and, you know, and, and I just feel like I'm proof that you don't need to be doing those things to create um, successful athletes and successful humans. And, um, and for me, yeah, I, I think, I, you know, I want to see our women's national team continue to be successful, but the reality is, and these are just facts, you're not seeing the youth national team players trickle up to the senior women's national team. It's not happening. So to take this theory of, well, you know, we're pulling all of our national team players from the DA and they can't play high school sports and they can't, they have to specialize in soccer and this and that. Well, that's been going on for the last 10 years and it's not translating into players being on the national team. You know, Mal Pugh is up there, but when you start looking at it, the number of players who have been in a 17s world cup or a 20s world cup, they're not making it consistently on the senior women's national team. And so, um, but you know, the players that are, are the players that grew up when I grew up that were playing multiple sports and we're doing all of these other things. And so, um, I think we could sort of need to take a step back a little bit and figure out if um, perhaps that's really genuinely the right model. And I think the argument probably would be made, well, it takes time for those things to happen. But again, we've been, we've had that mentality for the last decade and you're just not seeing that translate. 
um, to the senior women's national team level. So I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens when, um, you know, the players that are in their mid, mid to late thirties start retiring, um, what that, what that looks like, right. How are we going to fill those spots? Um, and what does the team look like, you know, heading into the next three to five years? It'll definitely, it'll be telling, I think for sure. That's a, uh, a damn good answer. <laughs> yeah, I and, don't think uh, that I don't think U.S. soccer is going to be hiring me anytime soon. Pretty... <laughs> <laughs> I I agree about the ECNL and the DA. It's a uh, especially from someone that that recruits all the time. I mean, it's a uh, it's definitely watered down the the talent, and you've spread it out too thin, and so you're kind of you're, you're kind of hurting yourself in the sense that yeah. you, you want them to compete at the highest level against the highest level but when you've spread out the talent they can't get the consistent high they level games yeah they can't get the consistent high level games and ps those teams are still charging those families well, an arm right. and a leg to, be able to do it so it's like you know and, and the the poor families feel like compelled to mm-hmm. you know to get their kids playing in the da and and i don't know that that's necessarily the right answer so like I said, I'm a big proponent of ODP. I would love to see ODP um, be revitalized. and um, It's yeah. hanging on. It's it hanging is. on. <laughs> it is. It's hanging on. And, and I think that they're working on some, some changes right now that I think are going to be very beneficial for, you know, all of USU soccer. And, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes of it. I think, I think the high school um, – conundrum is is a big one too because you know i think high school gets such a bad rap oh the coaching's not great the level's not great or whatever but, who cares but it's that, fun exactly it's fun. and that's like, the thing i mean imagine imagine you are on your your da team or your ecl kids they play high school but you're on your da team and you're competing and you're you're one of the best players on that team but you're not the best you go to your high school team you're more than you're likely going to exactly and think about the the leadership the yeah, leadership lesson you're leading your team you are absolutely. changing games absolutely yeah. so much yeah. to be said for that that's not specifically technical tactical but it's about your your approach to leadership and how you well, how you deal and the with reality others is we want kids to stay in the game mm-hmm. the game needs to be fun you know like for me again i was really fortunate it was always a stress release for me it didn't matter what level i was playing at it was fun mm-hmm. it was always fun you know my parents didn't put pressure on me they didn't need to cuz i put enough on myself but but it was fun, right? Like mm-hmm. I never felt like it was a job. I never felt like I had to be doing something like, you know, I, I just, I never sort of felt that I just, it was fun. And I think that we lose sight of that. This game is supposed to be fun. And the minute that it stops being fun is the minute stop people stop being playing It stop playing. It doesn't matter if you're 13, if you're 16, or if you're 35, the minute that you stop having fun is when you stop playing. Um, and, and I think that we're losing sight of that. So we've got these phenomenal athletes that are coming through and then they get to their freshman year of college and they're still burnt out. They walk away from the game and they never come back to it. And I think that is the most depressing thing possible. Right. So, um, to me, preventing that is more important than, you know, whether or not these kids are playing, you know, going to DA training five days a week and then playing on a weekend. So Mm-hmm. I'm going to make that my ringtone of uh, if it stops being fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, Haley, that's my reminder from Haley. Make sure mm-hmm. it's fun today, boys. It's got to be fun. If, cause that's, that's true. I mean, the reality is like we, you know, you know, as pros, that's the conversation we have with each other is that when it stops being fun is when I stop playing. Um, and I'm going to keep playing for as long as I can, you know, that's, yeah. You know, I think that's why you see like Landon Donovan continuing to play wherever he can find space, wherever he can find a team in a league that'll take him. He's going to keep playing because it's fun. You hasn't know, he so. has hasn't he been an interesting case study because he quit because he wasn't having fun and then he and then he came he, back yeah because he had he wasn't enjoying not having fun I mean yeah. it was such a he started a, to miss it yeah absolutely yeah so it's you know I think that's important it's important that the game stay fun mm-hmm. it's a game <laughs> it'll yep. always be a game doesn't matter um, what level it's played at it's a game it's supposed to be fun yeah. Haley, if uh, if folks want to connect with you and, and follow along in your journey, how can they do that? Um, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm at H underscore C underscore Carter. Um, and I'm on Instagram. I think it's HC Carter 29. Um, and then, of course, I'm, I'm on Facebook as well. You can just type in Haley Carter on one of those little blue verified tick mark pages. But um I'm on Snapchat, but I'll be honest, I don't snap. I just, I'm, I'm a voyeur. I read other people's snaps. <laughs> That's snap. for college kids. I don't know yeah. how to do that either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have, so I have three little brothers and, uh, and I, I'm the cool older sister and my job is to monitor their Snapchats. Um, <laughs> Lucky <so>. you. <laughs> yeah. Two of them, two of them are in high school. So it's, it takes, it's a full-time job. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, so it's, Yes, I'm on. I'm on the tweeter for sure. I tweet a lot, so it's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And I can say that uh, you're a damn good follow uh, on Twitter, and just the um, you know a- awareness raising that you do, and the absolute love and passion you have for our game. I mean, it it comes through, and just being a, a strong advocate for women and for young girls. Um, and Aaron mentioned it before, but I, I need to say it as well that, um, truly appreciate your service to our country. Uh, that oh, means thank you guys. A, a, a lot, uh, to me and, um, you know, uh, you encountered situations that I can only imagine and, uh, you know, that's, uh, incredibly heroic and brave of you to do that. And, um, yeah, thank you for, for keep, my, keeping all my of us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And thank you again for having me on. This has been a this has been a really fun conversation. You've had quite a few amazing guests on. I'm I'm humbled to have been included in your guest list. I'm I feel well, a little you. bit inadequate. Like maybe I don't belong, but I'm gonna <laughs> roll with it. <laughs> I was gonna say stop because uh, you're uh, in, in my eyes. Um, you know, I, I, I so the the conversation I have with my wife all the time is at the dinner table that I'm actually amazed these people even want to talk to me, <laughs> and that um. You know, uh, so I'm incredibly grateful to you for even coming on the show and that, uh, yeah, just a whole lot of respect and admiration and, um, you know, is a, is a member of, uh, United soccer coaches that, yeah, sure. Uh, I follow what you're doing, you know, and, um, I think your, your backstory is fascinating and, um, you know, and it is the dad of two little girls. They need to have people that they can look up to and idolize, you know, besides their mom and I that are in the game that are, you know, just really passionate about 
helping move the needle in uh, you and uh, folks like Erica and Becky and, you know, uh, Nikki Izzo Brown at West Virginia and, yeah. and, you know, other ones. I mean, I've been really, really lucky to get connected to some of these folks. And um, I don't know, uh, you know, it goes back to sort of how we began our conversation of just how small the, uh, the football and soccer world actually is. So it truly is. Yeah, it yeah. definitely is for sure. Well, um, I hope law school goes <laughs> goes well. And thanks. Uh, I uh, I'm taking classes remote over the summer because you know there's this tournament that's coming up in a couple of days. That's what I hear. Um, what yeah, I hear. yeah. I'll be making the trip. <laughs> I'll be in Leon for the semifinals and final. And so I, I not the Gold Cup, by the way. <laughs> not definitely not the Gold Cup. Um, yeah. I hope um, your tickets and your seats are together. My seats are together. So, so I, I, we, we bought the package at the very beginning, um, when they went on sale. Um, so we didn't do the like individual tickets. I, I think it was the people who ordered individual tickets that really got, um, gotcha. that really got their stuff completely botched. What a fiasco that has been. Um, so FIFA, that's so FIFA. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so, so I'm, I'm taking distance classes. I'm taking animal law this summer. Mm. Yes. Sounds animal riveting. Law. Yes. It, it, it actually, <laughs> it actually probably will be very interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was offered online. So I took it. <laughs> very good. Um, very. Yeah. So. All right, guys, a big shout out to Haley Carter for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And Haley, um, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Absolutely love your backstory and uh, what you're doing for women and young girls in the game of football and in the game of soccer. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. And you have a big fan in uh, this particular podcast of, uh, of your work. You can find us on 12 different podcasting platforms. So if you're new to the show, whether it be Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, uh, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcast, among others, make sure you subscribe because most weeks you're going to get two episodes of the show, but occasionally you will get a third bonus episode each week. So you never want to miss an episode. And of course, I uh, would love to connect with you on social media on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at SoccerCoachJB. All right, guys, June is going to be a really busy month. We're about halfway through and a number of great episodes already lined up for next week. Uh, can't wait to share those out with you uh, very, very soon. Until next time, hope you guys have a great weekend and catch you real soon. This has been the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.